0: Hey guys, Jack here. Welcome back to Just Hands. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a fantastic episode today with James Bilderbeck, uh, who is a past guest, a Just Hands member who's sort of come of the team. He's been working with me, um, and he's actually going to revamp the podcast breakdown. So the first podcast breakdown um, is already up, and you can check that out now. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. And so yeah, definitely check out James's podcast breakdown. The podcast breakdown basically goes through the most recent episode, so not this episode, but the one before, and goes back over the kinds of things and assertions we made in the podcast and gives them a second over, sometimes using software, to try and figure out, you know, were we right? Were we wrong? How right were we? How wrong were we? Um, And I think it's a really nice compliment to the podcast. It's something that we used to do uh, when, between Zach and I, we had a little bit more in the way of resources, Um, but we're back at it, so I'm excited to have that to you guys. Uh, I already have next week's episode recorded, so we're going to be back on a more regular schedule. I know I've been saying that for a while, but it's actually happening, so that's good news. Um, and then, in other news, we are brought to you guys by solve for y As always, thank you to solve for y for uh, keeping us going here. If you are around Vegas next week, and you're looking to really, really improve your poker game, whether it's tournaments or cash, I definitely recommend checking out the Academy. The Cash Academy, which is a week from this Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday, we actually are going to have a few Just Hands members out there. And so I'm really looking forward to having the Just Hands community well represented. It's Solve for Why. I think there might be some seats remaining. I'm not positive. But if you're interested, then definitely give Berkey and those guys a shout and use discount code Just Hands 2019. You'll get 5% off. Academy is really an amazing experience. I highly, highly recommend it, especially um, if you're looking to put in a lot of volume this summer at the series. Uh, there's really no better way, in my opinion, to go into the series than to have come straight out of a Software Y Academy. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Just Hands. I'm here today with not a first-time guest. Uh, we have James Bilderbeck back on the podcast. James, how you doing?
1: Doing pretty well today.
0: James is restarting the podcast breakdown, which is something that we used to do and stopped a little while ago. But basically, we go back over the episode and we use software and just, you know, the luxury of a little bit more time, not talking about the hand right in the moment, to go over the kinds of things we suggested in the podcast and just give it a second over um, using some tools that we don't necessarily have access to doing the recording. So the first of, first of those, the revamped podcast breakdowns is up on the website and James is going to continue doing that. And so I figured that just so you guys get excited about the excellent analysis coming down the pipeline, we could get James back on the show to talk some strategy. So yeah, James, uh, thank you for reanimating. I need a better yeah. word than that, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's back up. It's going, going again. Podcast Breakdown. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I thought the uh, the particular hand was really interesting too. I was going over the one you did with John on the river where he goes for the 2x pot over bet to try and get a lot of folds from that sort of tight, perhaps more serious amateurish uh, villain in that game. But yeah, it was really interesting like looking at all the hand combos and looking at uh, what small changes to the ranges, um, including like what range the villain has on the river or what villain's range that might call the river with, how that really can drastically affect um, the expected value of that shove. But yeah, it was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of the value of doing study off the table of a spot like that, is getting a sense of the kind of boundaries, like where do the edges lie that shift things from a check to a bet, to a 2x pot shove, uh, what does villain strategy have to look like um, for each of those things to become our best option? And I think you did a nice job of showing that.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right, well, today we have... We're going to do a listener hand. Haven't done one of these in a while, at least a listener hand that was submitted uh, via the form on our website, but that form is still operational, and so we'll be going back over uh, some recent hands that were submitted there, and I'll put a link to that form in this week's show notes, in case any of you guys have any hands that you want to submit to be on the show. We were not told where this hand came from, but it's a 1-2 game. Listener writes in that the main villain is pretty new to the table. 30-something white guy who transferred with a big stack. Definitely competent image based on the way he handled his bets and chips. He hasn't played a hand since he arrived three hands ago. Um, And here his image is always tight. Thirty-five-year-old white guy, clean cut. People always think I have it, and I usually do. <laughs> it's good to be aware of your image. Uh, although, if that if that is your image, I would recommend taking advantage. Yeah, I would, I would take yeah. advantage of it by bluffing a little bit more often. But that's okay. A big part of beating one-two is value betting. So, if you're doing that a lot, you just might be doing something right. All right. So, not much to say so far. Uh, I think that anyone who transfers with a big stack and looks competent is going to be, I think, a reasonable cut above your typical player at 1-2. It's just not behavior you would expect to see from a lot of people in the field.
1: I forget who I heard say this, but I heard a pro that I respected say that if someone has a big stack and you don't know much about them, you could say that they're slightly more likely to go for a hero call because that sort of increases your variance and could increase the chance that you stacked up. But it would be like, it's it's a very, uh, it'd be just a very slight adjustment, just like a very tiny adjustment. But um, that could be something that you could look for.
0: Yeah, putting that same logic in a slightly different way. If someone is extremely tight, it's much less likely for them to end up with ten times the starting stack because it's just yeah. hard to cooler people that often. Whereas if you're willing to bluff and get it in bad and then win, or or I mean that's a, that's people don't like to hear this, but the easiest way to win a big pot is to semi bluff, fail, and hit your draw. So the more you're willing to do I guess, that,
1: I guess it, it slightly indicates that if someone has a big stack that they play like a slightly higher variance style, but it would be a very, like, very, very tiny adjustment, but something to to look out for.
0: Yeah, sure, I agree. Uh So Hero is himself sitting with $730, so 1-2 game, and villain covers. So we don't know what the maximum buy-in is, but both players are sitting relatively deep. So Hero is in the big blind with red aces. The main villain is under the gun makes it $7. Uh, Hero notes that it's a small raise, I guess, for the game. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that If someone's raising smaller than the field. It's often going to be, I think a player like this who's raising smaller than the field is probably a better player. Like it's kind of, maybe someone who has an online background and doesn't like just 5Xing it. So, some making mind. So we, we still raise to $7 and one caller, we don't know where. Hero makes it $30. So, what do you think about this three bet and the choice of size?
1: I like the sizing. I think that's about right. Like, they won't have a. I don't think the villains will have a clear decision whether to call or fold to that size. So, if I was going to choose like a size for the entire range, I might choose 30 or 35, maybe. From the big blind, you're pretty incentivized to call with a lot of hands. So, I guess theoretically, it should be. Like, this bet should be more polarized, like, to very strong hands than if you were raising from the button or something like that.
0: Yeah, Aces is one of these hands where we have a lot of flexibility because the hand is just so invulnerable. Not invulnerable, but it's, it's just extremely high equity. It doesn't need very much protection. We can choose a smaller sizing than we might choose with other parts of our range, explosively. Mm-hmm. Um With other parts of our range prefer a larger size, Um, but I think 30 is reasonable with aces. Now, what I will say is that against a stronger player under the gun, with our image being such that we are thought to be extremely value heavy, I would consider just flatting. Now, of course, SPR is extremely high, which both makes us want to free bet, but also reduces our ability to deny equity versus a player who's going to probably peel us somewhat wide and proceed with an advantage in terms of understanding our range probably better than we understand his range. So I would consider flatting here and playing aces in a disguised fashion. But I think that this line is totally reasonable. It's It's obviously hard to go wrong here with aces. I think anything other than like a raise under 25 or a fold is very reasonable here. So, We don't need to. Um,
1: Yeah, I would also say, like, from certain player types, it could be nice to flat a hand, like, ace king here as well. Because, like, I'm talking about if you're playing against a player who's likely to sort of bomb it on, like, king high, ace high boards that are somewhat dry, it could be nice to have a hand that we're not as expected to have. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean I personally think that there is there's a case for very rarely, if ever raising here, this deep out of position to two players against what should be two extremely strong ranges. But because live players tend to play wider than maybe they should not than not that they should, but then they're theoretically supposed to. It makes raising like a wider kind of polarized or even a merged range here more appropriate. So yeah. I, I'm into this. Both players end up calling. So we have 90 in the pot. And against the main villain, we have about 700 behind. So we get a flop of king eight, five, two two clubs. The king is a club. Hero bets $50 into $90. Any thoughts on whether or not to bet here, and what sizing to choose?
1: Yeah, definitely like a bet. There's... Um, obviously a lot of kings in the villains' range that you can target. Sorry, did both villains end up calling?
0: Yeah, we're three ways to this flop, so there's okay. nine in the pot. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 you said that. All right, yeah, yeah, definitely like betting. I think villains will be somewhat elastic with the their pocket pair hands. Like, if you bet this flop and UTG has a hand like, nines or tens they could call one but it's kind of tough for them with another player behind them continuing and there's not a lot of cards that will really improve them but i think the the player who is ultimate position is likely to call a little bit wider yeah i think i like when i'm in this situation i might go for something like a, a teeny bit smaller, something like 40, just to kind of put the pocket pair of hands in a little bit more questionable of a situation as to whether they would call. But yeah, like I was kind of nitpicking a little bit. I like the bet.
0: Yeah, I like the bet too. Although, one thing I'll say about this spot is that it's already very hard for us to be bluffing based on what we've said about ourselves and the situation. You know, if we're being put on a range of like jacks plus and ace king, and that is actually what we're three betting. So first I'll just point out that like, if you can ever deviate from the strategy that your opponents are expecting you to play, that's often a recipe for profitability, unless you're just inserting garbage hands. So if your opponents are expecting like jacks or even queens plus and some ace king as your three betting range, and that's true and you get to this spot, it's arguably kind of hard to get value, which shows that maybe we should be doing something differently. Maybe we should be bluffing more pre-flop. Maybe we should be bluffing more so that we can get to this spot with more hands, like Ace-Queens, Ace-Jacks, that can bluff here. Assuming our opponents play well. Obviously, if our opponents just put us on that range, but then call with any King for three streets regardless, then we're incentivized to just three-bet that range. Anyways, but yeah, I... I'm just I just want to point out that like the reason I'm suggesting doing something differently preflop is because we get to this extremely advantageous spot and against a, a tough player like you might have a hard time getting two streets of value against a hand like king queen. So, and also just betting in like if most hands are going to continue and put serious money in the pot are hands that are really just looking to kind of outdraw you and stack you, that also puts us in a tough position. So, we bet $50 and a $90, which I think is a fine sizing, just because we need to induce calls. Um, if we bet like 90, I, I don't think we're going to get calls from anything other than a king or a clubs or six, seven. And that's not great. So if yeah, we bet $50 and a 90, main villain calls in normal rhythm is what, uh, the listener writes. And the other player folds. So our listener thinks this could be a set a king or a draw. Um what do you think about that range?
1: I think like tens jacks might call here. I don't know if it's a great call. I think what else could I call here? Like maybe if he's a bit loose like ace queen with the ace of clubs, but other than yeah, other than that like I'm pretty that seems about right to me. Yeah, I agree. I think hands like
0: ace king or sorry, ace queen Ace Jack, maybe yeah, even Ace Ten with the Ace of Clubs could call. Yeah.
1: I don't think players slow play sets very much when there's a flush draw out there. So I, I'd expect him to raise the hand like Pocket Eights most of the time, but you know, not not a hundred percent of the time.
0: Yeah. So, do you think this opponent would bluff here? Would bluff raise?
1: like maybe with a really strong flush draw like the nut flush draw but i think a lot of raises in position end up being more value because the easiest the easy path forward is to like passively call which you know is plus ev with like a good flush draw so i i think it's possible that the villain could bluff this flop but um i'd expect a lot of the draws to just take their price and call.
0: I think if I had to sort hands completely into one category or another, then I would agree with you. Or I think you're right in terms of like, what is the field's tendency most often? I think most of the field raises sets here in this formation and wouldn't raise many draws. But I think that, you know, a player fitting the description of what we're seeing is maybe a little bit more likely to be concerned with things like balance than most people in 1-2. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see sets mostly play through a call, especially if our opponent felt like we were going to have an extremely strong range such that he never wanted to bluff us. I also wouldn't be surprised to see our opponent have kings here. I think kings is actually kind of a tricky 4-bet in this formation, you can easily, I think, get into a spot where, against a tighter player, you can get some folds from hands like queens or jacks and end up getting raised mostly just by aces, and you're kind of shifting your opponent towards having aces quite a bit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see kings in our opponent's range. I think kings is a... I'm not sure if that's a hand that would raise. I think a hand like eights would be more likely to raise. Because when our opponent has kings, like they can put us on aces a lot, or he's king, but now they have to start at least considering the fact that we might be bluffing here.
1: Especially like almost 400 big blinds deep. I think flatting with King's pre flop to the three bet could be a really smart play. Yeah, I agree. So
0: I agree with uh, Villain's assessment that this could be a set King could draw. Certainly, I think those are all, all those are in play. I wouldn't be shocked to see hands like eight, nine, five, six, or. Some of these ace of clubs type of hands that have like a backdoor, those I would be a little surprised to see fold. I would expect our opponent to fold a lot of like tens, jacks, queens, but maybe not with a club. So I would make our opponent's range a little bit wider than I think that uh, Hero is, but I think he's on the right, basically the right path. So the turn is an offsuit four, and Hero decides to check. Hero Hero writes that we're deep for one two. And I want to see what he does. I'm not ready to play for stacks if I bet and he raises. So James, what do you think about the thought that we're not ready to play for stacks here? Do you think we should be playing for stacks?
1: Well, let me, let me sort of back up a little bit. Here's sort of why I like the check. I think like for the reasons that you were suggesting that like the flop bet wasn't as great as it might first appear because of the fact that the hero's likely three betting a tight range, like it's perceived to be a tight range. I think that checking checking this card could be good because, as you said, like you could get a tight fold from like King Jack or something if you uh, made a big bet on this turn like it's hard to and yet like yes, that hand has some equity against us, but it's just somewhat difficult to get called by to keep getting called by worse when we're perceived to have such a strong range. So I would say that we're not looking to fold at any point. Like maybe, maybe if a club comes on the river or something, but if I were checking here, it would be to induce a bet from the villain. And if, if I think he's the type to like take a stab facing weakness, like when we check here, I think it looks like we have Queens, Or jacks a lot of the time. And like we see bet the flop and like now we don't know what to do.
0: Yeah, I think, I think this is a spot where a lot of tight players play well, but not, they're not necessarily doing it for the right reasons. So the reason we got for why we want to check here is that we're deep and we're not ready to play for stacks if we bet and get raised. Now I think the idea of get, betting and getting raised here is certainly pretty gross. Our opponent has value that beats us. We have a fairly transparent range. And so we can expect to get raised here at a reasonable frequency by, you know, a range that we're not totally sure, like, you know, how we're doing. But I think the idea of we're not ready to play for stacks is probably, that's probably not the level of detail that we need here in order to make the best decisions now and going forward so i agree that checking is is probably a good idea here since it's just our hand is fairly transparent so it's gonna be hard to get our opponent to play very poorly versus a bet i think that our opponent is more likely to make mistakes like betting king x versus check and i think that this is a mistake that i feel like i used to make more often where you know i I had a very, I would have like a very scared kind of king queen in this spot and get the check or face a check and then bet. But I actually think that this is a really strong spot against like tighter players to check back top pair. But I do think that you induce a lot of bets when you check aces here, um, against hands like that king queen. So I like the check, um, just to start inducing bluffs and inducing value bets from weaker. And because you're, it's just hard to get value from another bet. But again, this is also a spot where if we had a wider range pre-flop, then we could continue betting for value more easily. And if we played through a flat pre-flop, then we might have more options here. Regardless, I like the check. So villain does bet. He bets $50 into 190. So James, what do you what do you think about this bet of fifty dollars?
1: Hmm. I it's kind of a strange bet to face because I don't think theoretically like this bet accomplishes very much. I would sort of treat it as the villain checking back because like because his this bet doesn't really make sense with any hand. Like it's hard to say like what kind of range of hands to put him on, but. Yeah, I think we could call and then lead most rivers, but uh, maybe there's a case for check-raising, too. Yeah, I don't know. We're Obviously, we're never folding.
0: Yeah. No, I wouldn't fold. I think it's close between calling or check-raising, but I think I actually like the suggestion of just calling here, planning to lead certain rivers. Basically, I think it's a little bit more logically consistent with how we've played thus far and like the assumptions that we're making i think there's a world where check raising makes sense but it's not the world where we were worried we weren't going to get value from like king queen king jack on the turn so i think that we have to just play coy and check again i think on like a very not scary card we might want to leave but i actually think we might want to just try and induce bluffs if anything and just hope that like we get put on queens or jacks and get bluffed into. Um, and this is like, you know, when you're, when you're a value heavy player, this is kind of how we have to make money against the better players in the field who aren't going to just pay us off is like, we have to just try and induce mistaken bluffs. Someone who doesn't realize that we're just not betting queens or jacks very much on the flop and decides to try and take a lot of effort to get us to fold those sorts of hands here around the river. Or, or value bet us. Anyway, I, I think we both agree that calling is best, and I'm not sure there are many cards where I would want to lead, but we get an interesting card where we maybe want to start considering a lead. We get the Ace of Spades river. So final board is King, Eight, Five, Four, Ace. No flush draw got there. 6-7 did get there. The pot's two hundred and ninety, and we have six hundred behind. So, James, what are you thinking here? Do you think top set? Should we should we be betting? Should we be check raising? Um, should we be check calling?
1: Let's see. So, we put the villain on a range of sort of king X club draws and like maybe some slow played sets. And, um, maybe the, was it six, seven, the straight that came in, maybe a hand like that.
0: Yeah. Also Um, it's worth reiterating that the ace of clubs is still available. So we have the red aces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So I think, honestly, I think that we shouldn't be worried about another reason we shouldn't be worried about six, seven, like besides the fact that it's a really small portion of the villain's range is that I think it might bet larger to like charge flush draws just because like when when opponents see that their nuts can be outdrawn they're they're tempted to go for a larger size but anyway overall i kind of like a check again because i think we can kind of make our hands look like our hand look like queens or jacks and the villain might go for some thin value with the nut flush draw or the villain might try and bluff us with other missed club draws if he thinks that we might have queens or jacks. So I, I would say go for a check first, planning to check raise all in.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now, I will say that I actually think this is a card that does sometimes get bluffed by someone of Hero's profile. Like, sometimes you're in this spot and you bet... I hand, like, king-queen on the turn for this small size. And then the ace comes, and big blind just leads for, like, 150 and ends up holding, like, jacks and just realizes that they were probably not good very much and wants to try and capitalize on the perceived range card. And so I think you can get paid by a king sometimes. But when you check... I don't think it's impossible that a king bets some amount. I also think that you get bluffed here a reasonable amount. And the fact that the ace of clubs is available is really important. So your opponent just now ends up having a reasonable amount of Acex that might pay off a check raise. It probably won't. But I think what, what we need to start thinking about is, like, how many worse hands can call our check shove versus how many better hands we'll call. So let's assume our opponent contains, like how, it's a really hard question to say, like how many sets and straights does our opponent have at this point? Our opponent has. Maybe a
1: question for the podcast breakdown, perhaps.
0: Definitely. So seeing, you know, what various situations look like. An under the gun open could contain six, seven. It might not. We don't know. If we narrow it down to three combos right away, um, and also limit fives to three combos, assuming that, you know, six, seven, and pocket fives correlate with, you know, either choosing to limp or just fold at similar rates. Let's say there's like something like seven sets and three straights that are available from pre So how, weighing like, how often do each of those get to this point? Do they all pay off? Like, I don't really think sets fold. I think sets just convince themselves that you have you might have two pair and call. So, I'm pretty comfortable check shoving just because I think enough good things can
1: happen. Like, you just never yeah. know. But your opponent also have Ace have, King. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. There's still some Ace King commas out there, and I think. Ace-King is even more likely to flat than King's, in my opinion, especially if the hero has, like, a really tight image at the table. So that's, what, three combos of Ace-King?
0: Yeah, up to three combos of Ace-King.
1: Yeah.
0: It's hard to say what bets $50 on on the turn, but I think all of those hands, or at least I don't think Set's or straights feel like they need very much protection against the range that hero is representing. And so I, I think they're all liable to bet that size. So I'm not ruling any of them out. The fact that we saw yeah. that size, I don't think gives us that much information about our opponent's range. It's just kind of a strange size generally. So in all probability, it's probably not a balanced sizing, but I don't think we can make any strong assumption based on the sizing. So hero decides to bet. Um, hero writes that he wasn't thinking clearly other than, I hit top set, I bet monies. Hero writes, I didn't want him to check back, and that check raise would look really strong, so I opted just to put a decent-sized bet out there for 1-2. In retrospect, a check is probably better. And Hero put out, I think, $150 based on what he says later in the yeah. submission. I, um,
1: I would also say um there are certain players, like players who rarely bluff, who might end up with And who might check back the ace of clubs here? Like, there is a profile in which I think betting is good on this river that exists at one, two, and one, three of, yeah, some really tight players that, that might not even bet, like, their top pair for value on this river, but would call a bet.
0: Yeah. I tend to think that improving is just something that gets people to bet. So I agree that, like, there's a large subset of opponents who just, like, won't bet top pair on the river that often. But I think if they were bluffing and then they make top pair on the river, that often bets.
1: That's interesting.
0: So, like, if our opponent, like, floated ace-queen with, like, the ace of clubs on the flop hits an ace on the turn, and, like, we check call 50. I think that there's a lot of opponents who will just knuckle back on the river. But when the same villain just, like, smashes the ace on the river, I think they bet a lot. So, Uh, I would be surprised to see an ace just knuckle back. Especially from this profile. Yeah, Um, Even though I think that, like, it's something they should definitely consider doing. I think it's a mistake. I think this is, like, this is where we can survive playing this kind of transparent strategy against the field because they, it's just easy to kind of get them to forget that like we have a super strong range. Like it's easy for our opponent to forget that like we basically are aces, kings, ace, king after we bet the plot. And then to just like punt holding like ace, is jack of clubs or something.
1: So. And then call a check raise if they're. Stuck and tilted.
0: Yeah, and you think like, well maybe he just has like queens. He's, yeah. He's bluffing. Just trying to rip aces. Who knows? Good things can happen, which is why I like the check race. But yeah, so we we bet hundred fifty and then our opponent ships for an additional four fifty. So oh boy. We're getting about three to one here.
1: I don't I don't think
0: sorry, two to one. Two to one.
1: Yeah. I don't think we can fold like Yes, he could have six seven, but um a lot of those combos you might not have based on the pre flop action, so like from a Bayesian sense, like they're not even there, and um, I think eights could shove, I think maybe he shoves ace King without thinking about it too much, yeah, I mean it's not a it's not an easy decision, I think it's close, but I don't think I would fold.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't fold either. I think our odds are just a little bit too good, considering that our opponent, you know, they're probably not bluffing, but it's possible. Plus, I think it's just easy enough for our opponent to show up with worst value here and shove.
1: What was the pot size on the river?
0: So the pot was 290. We bet 150, and our opponent shoved for 600 total.
1: I'd feel even better about calling if we had bet 100, because I, I think like the smaller size looks a little bit weaker. Yeah, I'm not advocating that bet size, but mm-hmm. I think we could... like the, It induces more bluffs if we had bet smaller.
0: Yeah. I think that the fact that our opponent bet $50 on the turn is enough information to allow us to call here. If our opponent was reading us extremely well, that we almost for sure had like ace king or aces or kings, they really should raise us or bet larger on the turn with, with just about any value. Because, you know, there's a, there are bad cards that come for our opponent in terms of his ability to get value or there's some vulnerability, not much especially not with 6-7, but betting 50, I think it's, to me, it's enough of a sign that our opponent might just be misranging us that we should just call. Yeah, because I think that, I actually do think that our opponent probably should only have 6-7 here, but I think it takes a pretty sophisticated opponent to only have 6-7 here. So what we can do, the kind, kind of exercise you can do here to try and figure out whether you should call or not, is to consider the chance that your opponent is, like, a, one of a few different types of players. So maybe there's a 40% chance our opponent only has 6-7 here. And then there's a 50% chance our opponent could have 6-7 or any set that showed up here. And then a 10% chance that our opponent could have those, or, like, maybe 10 bluff combos. And we could pick any of, like, some eight bluff sevens clubs. or miss yeah. clubs, you know. And now the thing is, even though our opponent, so this is a, I have something about this on the software Y, on software Y TV, uh, a webinar I did about partial profiling. But essentially the gist of it is that even if we think that before we saw this raise, our opponent would only raise, or our opponent would be the type to only raise 6, 7, 40% of the time, the fact that we now saw this raise means he actually has, he is one of the other players more than 40% of the time because there's more combos in those other ranges. So like if he, before we saw this raise, only yeah. raised six, seven forty 40% of the time, we actually, we don't see this raise from him that often. Um, and so when we like, when we create partial combos and create a composite range, it's still probably going to be, even with that breakdown of him being the type of player to only have 6-7% of the time, going to be enough for us to call. But yeah, it's it's close. And villain actually did, sorry, not villain, hero did fold. So hero writes, I folded, he did not show. He later talked that he had the straight, said the four was his gin card, and said once I bet the $150, he put me on aces and thought for sure he was going to get paid. But who knows? Yeah, I think that your opponent probably did have 6-7 if he's talking like that.
1: I think maybe not. something I've I have a theory about. Um, let me know if you think this is right. I think if reactions are exaggerated, then it's more likely that your opponent is trying to lie about what they had. Like if they're like, like if he slammed his cards down immediately after you folded and it was like, like oh, like oh, I thought you were gonna call. I had the I had the straight. I think like those kinds of exaggerated reactions are more likely to be false.
0: I definitely agree. But I also think that if he says he put you on aces, he probably doesn't think you're going to fall. <laughs> yeah. So. If, I mean,
1: if he put, he, if he put the hero on aces, he should have bet more on the turn. Like,
0: Well, he said once, once hero bet the 150, oh, he put Oh, that's
1: true. Okay. Okay.
0: And, and I, I agree. It yeah. is like a, It's a pretty sick spot to bluff against someone that you're reading as being value heavy. Now, Mm -hmm. you can go back to this whole episode and try and imagine how things are a little bit different if Hero's not actually perceived as being value heavy the way that he claims. You know, he is in his thirties, he said. So if he actually is perceived as being a fairly balanced player, then the whole thing starts looking very differently. So that's something to, Um, to consider. Yeah.
1: But yeah, this could also be a, uh, I was just thinking um, this could also be a spot where you could try and go for a try and go for a live read on the river. I don't think we should have gotten to this spot, but um, you could try and try and look at the villain in this situation, see how comfortable he looks, try and talk to him. You know, that's what that's what I would really encourage. Like and, you know, you can if you're leaning one way, it can be tough, like getting a getting a read from talking to the villain. But I'd I'd encourage the listener to try that.
0: Yeah, I think part of the problem with that might be that in this instance we're kind of weighing how much worse value does our opponent have.
1: That's true. And Matt what Berkey we could do, with... Matt Berkey got in trouble with.
0: Yeah, that. he did. De- he definitely did. <clears throat> what we could do in a cash, Matt couldn't do this. Yeah. But what we could do is show our hand. The problem is that I just I don't like showing. Like, if we're considering folding aces, I wouldn't want to fold those after showing them. Yeah. If we have some sort of just like random bluff catcher. Yeah. And we show our hand to try and induce a response. Or if we had like, you know, ace king here or something. Yeah. It'd be different. But yeah, I I wouldn't want to show ace. Like, I hope you didn't show this. We didn't, we didn't get anything from hero, but don't tell people that you folded aces here. Uh, yeah. it's just not information that'll help you. So, yeah, I think, uh, I actually think everything about the line here is reasonable. The river I would have played very differently, but I don't think the fold is horrendous, and I don't think the lead is, I believe it's a reasonable reaction to seeing an ace on the river. Um, I just think that you should be going for, like, this is actually something about the, the river, is that, if we think that these hands are just going to raise, such that we can call, then maybe bet calling is better than check raising, since maybe we'll get some more value against like King X. So that's something to consider. Um, I actually think that it's a very coherent way of playing the hand to bet fold. Um, so, so I don't mind it, but I probably wouldn't fold. And I would consider a check-raise, since you're very likely to get called by sets when you check-raise mid East the king where I'm not sure that those always raise you. So overall, I would say well-played, but definitely consider losing up your range, and I think these spots will just become a lot easier. Yeah, agreed. Nice hand. All right, James, thank you for joining me back on the podcast. I look forward to seeing your analysis of this spot and future spots. We'll have a link to those in the show notes. And yeah, thanks again, James.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to get on the podcast again.
0: All right. Until next week.
1: I'll see you guys later.